Amen. Are you guys ready for God's word? You know, we've got a lot of exciting things happening. Yes, thank you for encouraging me. I tell you what, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to preach. And before we go there, ladies, I just want you to know you are going to have a fabulous time at the Fiesta Night on Tuesday this week. Don't miss it. You know, so many times people say, Pastor, I'm just having trouble getting connected and feeling plugged in. But then every time we have something, you end up missing. You got to make it, you, you got to show yourself friendly, show yourself, uh, uh, you know, just that friendly. Come out, make, make a, a point to put it on your calendar. And then also, guys, start getting ready. The, fir, uh, the last Saturday of this month, we are going to have, listen to me very closely, a prayer breakfast, a men's prayer breakfast. I'm going to talk briefly about prayer. We're going to go out and we're going to claim this ground for Jesus. God has been teaching us about prayer and warfare and, and, and we're going to have a fabulous time eating, fellowshipping, but then we're, before we leave, we're just going to, we're going to lock some things down as warriors in the Lord. Amen. And so I don't want you to miss, you've got to make a point to come out. Same thing with you guys. So many times you said, man, I want to get to know people. I don't feel like I'm connecting. You, you, you connect by, by actually given the effort. Amen. So make sure if you want to participate in helping uh, cook for that prayer breakfast, sign up at the Connection Center. You won't uh, be disappointed. We could use your help. Now, let's get into God's word. We've been talking about we are better together. Now you said, Pastor, we're, you're talking about better together and you should be talking about unity. But before I can talk about unity, I want to talk to you about, about the struggle that the enemy comes against us with to break up our unity, to disrupt that. Because, because I believe that there's no greater thing than the unity of the body of Christ by which the Holy Spirit will, will, will move and empower and begin to manifest his mighty works of awesome wonder. But, but the enemy knows this too. And so he comes against us to break up that unity to, to find open doors, to find open windows by which he can attack that unity, and not just the unity in the church, but he, he will attack you first at home. Because if our homes aren't united, if we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our homes, you're not going to experience it in the church, and if we're not experiencing it in the church, you won't experience it in the community, and if we're not experiencing it in the community, you're not going to experience it in the city, and if we're not experiencing it in the city, you won't feel it in the county, and if you're not feeling it in the county, you're not definitely not going to see it in the state. Oh, pastor, don't leave it there if we don't feel it in the state. What if this state doesn't do it? You expect California to do it? Oh, come on, I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around talking like a, like a true Texan. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't start with Texas, it starts with the family. It starts with each and every one of us being who we're called to be in the family so that we can be the family of God. Now, we're facing a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that very clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, for we do not wrestle battle, war, struggle against flesh and blood. I use those words because those are the words that are used in different versions. Depends what version you're reading, but you're going to see it's a war, it's a battle, it's a struggle, it's a fight. Here he says it's a wrestling match. I think that, that quite uh, frankly, that's, that's uh, a weak word compared to the, to the Greek. Now, 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Can I tell you that Paul is, is saying we battle against spiritual armies. The old English for host is armies. It meant literally armies. We battle wicked, spiritual, fallen angels that are organized into armies. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, what is a uh, hundred soldiers? A hundred soldiers, or, or what is a platoon? A platoon is less than a hundred. Then you have a platoon. Then you have a, a what? A, a company. A company is typically what? A hundred to two hundred, then from a company you go to what? A battalion, then you have uh, about 500 units or soldiers to 800, and then you have five battalions will equal what? A brigade, and then from a brigade you have a, a division, and from a division you have a corps. And I'm just reading from something I found on the internet because the truth is, some of my guys came up and said, Pastor, you, feel out of, you left out a few uh, uh, places, and, and this is how it's really broken up. What I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to emphasize to you is there's organization. So we tend to think that Satan's out there by himself running around doing it all. And they say, well, Satan made me do it or Satan tempted me. The chances of you ever meeting up with Satan are slim to none. Truth is, you're going to meet up with one of his, one of his soldiers. And this is what Paul is describing. He's, it's an organized force. He's not just willy-nilly running around trying to discourage everybody. He has a plan. And he's systematically implementing that plan. And it's a battle plan for the hearts and souls of men and of women and of children. And, and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible uses different words to describe these spiritual forces. It uses thrones, lordships, uh, rulers of darkness, authorities, principalities and powers, evil spirits, fallen angels, demons, and even more. And he uses strategies by which to gain access. Now, the book of Joel tells us that there is a certain MO uh, uh, to the way a thief operates. Things that you have to look out in terms of the characteristics of a thief. And not only that, but what, what conditions he looks for. We know that the enemy is a thief. And so he looks for an open door, and these are the list of some of the open doors. He uses pride right at the top of the list. Pride, his chief sin, would you say? Pride was found in him, and when proud, pride was found in him, he fell like lightning. God didn't put up with it, but, but I need you to understand this because Joel says that a thief looks for certain things. Now, does a thief announce his coming? Or does he, uses, does he use the element of surprise? He uses the cover of darkness. He uses um, secrecy. So you've never seen a thief come and ring the doorbell and say, hey, I'm about to rob you guys. Just thought I'd let you know. You never see a thief come and put a yard sign in your yard saying, hey, next week at this time, I'm going to come in through this window and I'm going to steal these items. Just want you to know so you can be gone. 
No, you don't, you don't see that. You see a thief come under the cover of darkness, come under secrecy. He wants to be undetected. Can I tell you how you can detect a thief? You put the Holy Spirit in the home. The Holy Spirit is better than any security system you could ever buy. And all you have to do is allow him to reign and rule. You say, but what else? See, when the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts of sin and he shines the spotlight on your life. And this is why we have security lights. Because a thief hates to be operating in broad daylight. He wants to be undetected, unknown. He wants to be able to come in during a, a, a dark part of your home that is not secure. And so these are some of the open doors because the, the Bible says that he'll use an open door or a window. He, he needs an access point. Something that has not been secured. Something that, that, that he can gain access to. Now listen to me. Pride is the chief one he uses. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Pride is a hard, hard thing to deal with because a proud person doesn't know they're proud. They're typically the last one to see it. Now, I need you to stay with me on this. He also uses offenses. What are offenses? That's when you start getting at odds with people and you say, I can't believe so-and-so treated me this way. I can't believe that's what they said to me and I can't believe this and that. And next thing you know, you start holding a grudge. Don't be like that. That, that couple that came for counseling and, you know, we were having trouble communicating. And I said, well, well you know, tell me about, tell me about your, your husband. Does he, does, 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 does he, you know, I mean, tell me about your relationship. Tell me about you. Do you, do you wake up grouchy? She says, no, I, I never wake him up. I always let him sleep. I said, I don't think we're communicating here. Uh, well, do you have a, a grudge? No, we have a carport. I'm like, you know, no, a, a, a grudge is an offense, guys. Not a garage, an offense that you start to hold something against your brother. And, and this is what I want to tell you right, right quick. See, when the enemy starts circling, he's going to use, he's going to be testing your perimeter. He's going to be testing to see if he can get in in any way possible. And he will begin to frustrate you. He will begin to add frustration to your marriage, add frustration to your relationship with your, with your friends here at church, even with, with your association with leadership at the church. And when you start sensing that frustration, the last thing you should do is pr uh, pull away. The, the thing you should do is press in closer and begin to laugh and smile and say, I'm on to you, Satan. That must mean there's breakthrough coming because you're putting a lot of pressure designed to get me to separate myself, to turn on my, the, the people that I love and the people that love me. And we should be closer in these times. He uses bitterness, envy, covetousness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, sexual immorality. Why do you think I preach so heavily against covetousness? Because this tears up the unity of the body of Christ. What is covetousness? When we start comparing and competing with one another. We start comparing and competing with one another. The way you combat that is you start to proclaim what is for me is for me, Lord. And instead of coveting, you celebrate. I'm not talking about tolerate. See, to tolerate is to be near somebody but not celebrate them. You're just, you're just putting up with them. 
To celebrate them is to say, I am so happy for what God is doing in your life. I don't covet it. I don't wish it. I don't wish ill on you. I'm not secretly hoping you fail or stumble or have a hard time. I'm literally excited that God is blessing you. And I have this outlook that God, you are a big, awesome God. And in your home, there is plenty. So you are big enough to bless my brothers and me at the same time. I don't have to feel that that mentality of poverty. Some of us grew up in poverty and we still have that poverty mentality today, meaning there's never enough to go around. So when a brother is blessed, we covet them. Instead of saying, no, God, thank you because you're moving in this home and your house is a house of plenty sexual morality and forgiveness. I've, I've read them. I want you just to consider this because today we're going to be talking about the chief one and that's pride. And I'm going to show you how the enemy gains access. Now I want to ask you a question. Is it that God is allowing it or is it that we're allowing it? Which one is it? I would answer it with yes. It's both. God would not allow it if you didn't allow it. But when we allow it, he respects our free will and he loves us so much that he's going to teach us a lesson one way or another. But how many of you know there's more than one way to learn a lesson? You can do it the hard way. Come on, it's like God is saying to us today, we can do this the hard way or we can do it the easy way, my way. You can learn through your own experience, and some of us are going to say, no, I I learn with my own experiences. I don't learn from others. I like doing it my way. Well, then this message is perfect for you. (laughs) So I'm going to have you read with me. Listen, pride is trusting in your own strength. What do you mean pride is trusting in our own strength? And I want to highlight something for you. I want you to write this down. The more mature I get in Christ, or I should say the more that God unfolds his goodness in my life, the more tendency I may have to trust in my own strength. See, when we first come to the Lord, we know we have nothing, that we need him for everything. But then sooner or later, he stands our feet, and he, he, he pulls us out of the miry clay, he puts our feet upon a rock, and we stand on that firm foundation, he cleans us up, and he begins to, to, to lavish us. He begins to show us that he's able to do what? Exceedingly and abundantly, above and beyond whatever we could hope for, imagine, or dream, according to uh, According to his goodness, you know, the Apostle Paul says, and the eyes of our heart begin to open and we start to walk in that, in that humble confidence, right? And we're getting excited, but that humble confidence can just turn into confidence. And then from confidence, we go to arrogance. And if you're not careful, you can reach a point where you begin to say, man, I'm glad I'm not who I used to be and I'm glad I'm not like them and I'm not going to, uh-oh. And, 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 and so... So we we need to be careful with this because we begin to trust in our own strength and we begin to tell the Lord, Lord, I've got it from here. I know a little something. I'm not that weakling I once was. I've, I've strengthened myself in faith. I've walked through some things. I've been through some things. I've gone through some trials and now I'm really somebody, God. I'm not that nobody. I used to be. And so pride is trusting in our own strength. I want you to to consider with me the example of of one of our favorite apostles. And I think one of the reasons we love him so much is because he's so, so like us. We can see from his failures how real he is, and that's Peter. Isn't it cool that Peter was like a guy's guy and and just such a normal person? 
They can totally relate to Peter. You know, sometimes Paul, you know, you kind of feel like he can leap tall buildings in a single bound and he's faster than, stronger than a locomotive and faster than a speeding bullet. And you can almost see Paul with his cape on, a big S on his chest. And Peter's just like me, you know. Peter does all the wrong things and somehow God still loves him and uses him. And, and you got to love that about Peter. And, and here in this verse, God is dealing with this open door that Peter has, is just begging the enemy to exploit. Watch this with me. He says, chapter 22 of Luke, the Bible says in verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Now, I want you to, I want to, I want to highlight a couple of things. He says, Simon, Simon, by this time, Jesus has already changed his name. So this should be a clue to Peter when Jesus goes back to his old name that he's saying what? You're starting to struggle with something you used to struggle with. But I thought we had gotten past this. I need you to wake up again because you're going back to the old you. But he doesn't catch it. He keeps right on going. He says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He wants to cut you off at the knees. Now keep reading with me. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now watch this. I have prayed for you that you should not ultimately be destroyed is what he's saying. But after you have returned, meaning you're going to fall. And when you get up from that fall, I need you to get back in here and do what I've called you to do. Now, I need you to understand that the word ask there in the Greek has a very specific meaning. There's different words in, in Greek that have very, very clear meanings. We tend to lump a lot of meanings under one word. The Greeks tended to have different words for different meanings. And for this word asked, it literally means to ask for something and receive what one has asked for. More specifically, to ask for with success. To ask and to receive it, meaning Peter or Simon, Simon, Satan has asked and has the right to have it. Why? Because you are daring him through an open door of pride. Watch this. Tell me if, see, some of the other uh, uh, gospels give us a little bit of the backstory. Read with me in Mark 14. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting prophecy there and he's saying all of you. Now watch Peter's response. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. Come on, what does that smell like? And, and Jesus is going, we're having a moment there. I was quoting Old Testament prophecy. I was really trying to get through to you. And then Peter pipes up, you know, and he just like, he, you know, teachers, you ever have that kid that just can't be quiet? And sometimes he gets it right on, but sometimes he's way off. You know, don't admit that because they might go to this church. Um, but what, I, what I'm saying is, is Jesus going, what part of all don't you understand? 
Peter, this is Old Testament prophecy I'm speaking here. It always comes true because whatever God declares, his spirit will perform. But yet, listen to me. Peter's like, no, 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 no. You don't know me, Lord. I've got it like that. I'm strong like that. I'm faithful like that. Come on. Can someone give me an amen? That's good preaching, Pastor. That's good preaching. You're hitting a little close to home, but it's good nonetheless. See, watch this. Jesus said to him, surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. In fact, he denied Jesus to a young waitress girl and he even threw in a few curse words to make sure they believed him. How many of you know that, that, that when you leave an open door, Satan has a right to come in and and you've given him access and guess what? God will say, yeah. Because I've, look, you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way. What's the hard way? The hard way is, you know what? I always have to learn it my way. I can do it. I, I, I. And God says, no, at the end of the day, you're going to know it's me, not you. And so Satan, go in there, take care of business, roll him up a few times, wreck his shop, and then he'll, have, he'll sing a different tune. How many of you had your shop wrecked a few times by the enemy? Then you end up, oh Lord, please forgive me. And God said, we could have done it by you just opening up God's word and saying, Lord, speak to me by your spirit. You don't have to... I'm going to close all the doors. I'm not going to give any access points. And then I just want you to speak to me. But the problem is we're too busy telling God what's what rather than being quiet and letting him tell me. There was a minister the other day that was speaking to our youth at the youth uh, conference that they went to. And he said that there's this young lady who's part of his youth group. He goes, Pastor, I got to talk to you. How many of you ever come up, Pastor, I need to talk to you. You might do it nice. You might be, you might be from, from the South and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? But, 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 but that's what you mean. You want to talk to me? And, and this is what he said. He said, okay, you got, you got, you've got one hour. You got to stop, watch out. And he went, click. She rattled on for 50 minutes. Finally, he stopped, stopped watching. He said, hold on. See, your generation would rather be heard than healed. Uh Uh-oh. He said, if you had any wisdom, you would have let me speak for 50 minutes and you talk for 10 minutes. But instead, you rattled on for 50 minutes and now we only have 10 minutes. So in a minute, I'm going to start the stopwatch again and I'm going to give you what I can give you in 10 minutes. See, some of us go to God and say, Lord, we need a talk. We need to talk. I got some things that I need to get off my chest that I want to know, that I asked for your blessing. That I, and God's saying, who are you to come into my presence with all that attitude? And Satan's going. And God's going to go, go take care of your business. Now, now I'm going I'm to show you this is for your good. One way or another, God wants to refine you. You can do it by God's word or you can do it the hard way and say, I don't read God's word. I just leave doors open. I like Satan to come in, kick my butt a little bit. Then I feel like, then I get the point. 
If that's you, this message is for you. If you're the one that says, no, I'd rather leave, read God's word and, and forget all that pride and all those open doors, then this message is for you too. But, but watch this. Watch what Jesus says to him. From that time on, this is chapter 16 of Matthew, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things by the elders, the scribes, and, and the chief priests, and to be killed, and to be raised on the third dead day. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. Now you've got to be feeling pretty good that day to rebuke the king of glory the son of the living God. Rebuke him. And this is where, of course, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know what your theology is or what you're comfortable with, but you got to deal with this verse. You might say, well, pastor, it, it, Satan wasn't in him. It was over him, on, uh, beside him, on top of him, on his shoulders. I don't care. He said it. He said it pretty direct. He said, get behind me because what's Peter was leaving an open door to be used by the enemy. Can I tell you something else? This is shown when Peter shows up to the garden. Remember when they were at the garden? And, and the centurion that was, that was uh, in charge of Jesus' crucifixion sends soldiers to pick up Jesus along with the, with the religious leaders. And Peter shows up packing. He's like packing a sword. What's he doing with a sword? He's like... He shows up packing as soon as the guy comes. Like, he's like, he tries to chop his head off. This is crazy. Peter, what are you doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's leaving doors wide open. Okay, pride is trusting in your own strength. I mean, pride is also trusting in your own righteousness. I want to illustrate this from the book of Job. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? You know, many of us read the book of Job and we get the wrong idea because we love heroes and we love to prop up heroes. And Job was an awesome man of God, but he wasn't perfect. And that was the problem. He began to trust in his own righteousness. Read with me how this whole thing goes down. In chapter one of Job, verse six, the Bible says this. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord, now I want you to watch how awesome God is right here. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Isn't that awesome what God is saying to Satan? How many of you know you can't get over on God? I don't care if you are his greatest adversary. Right there, God is playing Satan. He's playing him like a violin. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan goes, oh, Really? He starts looking, yeah, I have considered him. This is what Satan says to him. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Haven't you not blessed his entire household and protected it on every side and everything his hands touch and all his possessions, they just keep increasing and increasing? 
But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. I love this. What you don't understand is that God loves Job fiercely. God loves Peter fiercely. God loves you fiercely. And when he sees something there, he will even use the enemy to help refine you, to help make you better. And so he says, have you considered my servant Job? You know what God is saying? I've been considering my servant Job and he is beautiful and awesome and and, and great, but he is not perfect and he's starting to buy his own hype and I want to help him with that. And I'm going to use you. You just don't know it yet, Satan. And Satan goes, yeah, I've considered it. And he starts telling him all this and God's going, great. So what do you think? Listen, go to chapter four. Where's that Bible at? It was right there. Give me that Bible. I have it marked already. Thank you. Go to chapter four. Watch, read this. Okay. Should not your piety be your confidence? Verse six of chapter four. And your blameless ways be your hope? Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where are the upright, or where were the upright ever destroyed? This is Satan talking. If you're so pious, let that be your comfort. You should take hope in in your perfection. He says, when have you ever seen the innocent treated this way? See, Satan is saying, you're not innocent. I've seen that pride in you too. And now I have a right to come in and test you. And God has granted it, but it's because you cracked that door. Watch what he says in verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? This is Satan speaking truth here, actually. Why? Because he's using this to accuse Job in order to gain access to his life. Watch what he says. Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? That's the whole crux of the book right here. So for 32 chapters, Job's friends keep coming around and going, why is this happening to you? Why is this happening? And they keep telling you, you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. What does Job keep saying? And we tend to think that God just did it. We don't know why. He just tested him. You know why? To make him better because God loves him. God loved him. God said, have you not considered my servant Job? God was telling him, I've been considering him and I love him so much, but I see this little thing in him that's beginning to grow. And before it grows anymore, I want to deal. I want it dealt with. And I'm going to use Satan to deal with it because this is how much I love him. And watch, this is what happens. So for 32 chapters, he keeps telling his, all of his, all of his friends, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. I've been perfect. I've been great. I've been holy. I've been blameless. And finally, a young man in verse In chapter 32, read with me, chapter 32 of Job, verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 through 2. Give that back to mama. And then there's a young man by the name of Elihu. And Elihu says, I have been taught to respect my elders. And Job, you and your friends are older than me. And so I have listened to your counsel. And I've I've hoped that you could get it right. But now I keep hearing that, that you guys are far from wisdom. And you're never going to get it. And so now I am compelled to speak up the truth that somehow this might give you understanding. And he says to him, Job, I have heard it from your own mouth. This is what you said. And it's wrong. 
it's wrong for you to think this way. And this is what he says. He says in, verse, uh, in chapter 1 of verse 32, for these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. He says, I've heard you say you're righteous in your own eyes. Watch this. And his wrath aroused against Job because he justified himself rather than God. Think about what Job is saying. Job is saying, I'm perfect. I'm innocent. I don't know why this is happening to me. So if he's perfect, he's innocent, and, and then who is being not perfect? God's just doing this to me. I don't know why. He's not calling him a bad guy, but he's saying this. If I'm perfect, then he must not be because he's judging me even though I'm perfect. Ooh, that's pride. So watch what happens. This young man says this. I've heard you say this, verse 9. I am pure, without transgression, I am innocent. There is no iniquity in me. Another version in the NIV says, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean, I am free from sin. See, because there comes a point where we can walk with God for a while and we start buying our own hype. And remember, listen to me, the only way you walk with God is to what? By faith, understand that it's his, his righteousness. And that's the day that you were saved. But guess what? It never changes because the same saving faith that, that justifies you is the same saving faith that sanctifies you, and it'll be the same saving faith that holds you in glorification. It's, and this young man is speaking truth to him, and, and this is what he said, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I'm not getting my understanding from you guys. I'm getting it from afar, because God is not here with you guys. He is far above, and his ways are far above, and he is far above. Come on now. And this is what he said, I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. And then after he gets warned by this young man, God steps in. In, verse, in chapters 38, God begins to speak and he says this to Job. He says, who is this who darkens counsel by his words without knowledge? Who is this that is speaking nonsense in my presence? That's what he's saying. You don't understand a thing. And he goes on to say, now prepare yourself like a man, for I will question you, and you will have to answer me now. Think about what God is saying. For years, you've been talking. I'm stopping the stopwatch. I'm turning it around. Now it's my turn to talk. And this is what he says to him. Where were you when I laid the foundations on the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You can sense God's sarcasm and frustration with him in a sense. Or he's really trying to be emphatic with him is what he's doing. Watch this. Or who stretched the line upon it, the plumb line, to make it square, to make it right? To what were, are the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began or caused the dawn to know its place? Watch this. Have you entered the treasury or the storehouse of where I store the snow before I send it? Do you know and have you seen the treasury of the, of the hail? 
Listen to this. By what way is light, of, is light diffused? He goes on to say, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that, it, that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send water to cover the earth? And I love this one. Does lightning come to your throne and ask where it should strike? Oh, that is awesome. And he keeps saying he's, but, but watch verse 8 of chapter 40. This is God. This is where the, the crux of the matter again. Would you discredit me and my justice? Would you condemn me and my justice to justify yourself? Would you say I am perfect and God has no right to do this to me? Making me imperfect? Can I tell you something? Job falls on his knees and he confesses his sin and God says, that's what I wanted, to make you better. Do you realize Satan's nowhere around? This great adversary of the Lord is nothing for God. He walks away going, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I actually made the guy better. And now him and God are closer than ever. But it's up to you. How do you want to do it? You want to leave some doors open? Let Satan come in and beat you up a little bit? Till you fall on your knees? Or can you fall on your knees and say, Lord, I don't need the, fight, the beat up. I don't need the spanking. I don't need that. I just need your word. I just need your word. I was talking to my brother once and he said to me, he said, you know, I just feel like God's going to and, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because this is what I said to him. I said, I feel like this whole conversation is you saying to me, this was years ago, that God's going to crater your business to get your attention. I said, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And I said, why don't you just give him your attention? He's like, oh, yeah, he didn't have to crater my business. I said, exactly. God gets no pleasure out of cratering businesses. You know what I mean? He wants you. He loves you. He cares for, come on now. See, pride is trusting in our own wisdom. So there's a story in the Old Testament where you have two kings, the king of Israel and the king of Judah, and they are partnered and allied by their family. Their children have married and they formed an alliance. Now the king of Israel is in the north. The king of Judah is Jehoshaphat in the in the south, the king of Israel is Ahab. How many of you remember what we've been studying about Ahab? Ahab was married to who? Jezebel, evil little couple, evil couple. They invented ways to do evil before the Lord. Now, King Jehoshaphat in the south is a righteous king. He's a good king. But they have this alliance and they decide to attack one of their enemies and take back some, some land that used to belong to them. So Ahab says, I have some prophets to come and tell me what's going to happen. And they told me it's going to be good. Jehoshaphat says, whoa, wait a minute. These guys seem like they're on your payroll and they're going to say whatever they, you want them to say. And so this is what takes place. Jehoshaphat said, is there not still at least one prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And this is what Ahab tells Jehoshaphat. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one there is still one, Micaiah, the son of Eliam, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. 
because he never prophesies anything good about me. Only evil. Come on, some of us like pastors to tell us exactly what we want to hear. Come on now, I'm going to say that again. Some of us like pastors to tell us exactly what we want to hear. And when I start preaching about the enemy coming in an open door, you're like, I don't know if I like this. I think I'm going to go to another church. And this, I said, you go on ahead. The enemy's going to come in either way. Best thing you can do is listen to the word of God and take heed. So watch this. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Go get him. So Micaiah shows up and and watch this. Then they came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against or shall we refrain? Here we go. And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver him into your hands. He said exactly what the lion prophet said, all the 400 lion prophets said. And, And the king of Israel said, how many times shall I make it clear to you and have you swear to me to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And the prophet says, you don't like hearing the truth. If you liked hearing the truth, I wouldn't have been in jail for three years for telling you the truth. Now he begins to say what's going to happen. I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have lost their shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his own house in peace. Meaning, guess what? If you go, you're going to be defeated. Instead, go back to your house and leave that fight alone. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I not tell you that he would prophesy only bad things about me? That's why I don't listen to him. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by. Now that's remarkable. Remember hosts, what I said, they were the armies, right, of heaven standing by on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in in another manner, then, the, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way will you persuade him? I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Whoa. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, did God just do that for no reason, or did this this man open the door first? This man opened the door first. And so you might say, whoa, 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 how do we know what's happening here? Y'all, the hosts of heavens, you're telling me those are angels, right? Yeah, these are angels, and you have right and left. You have the good angels and the bad angels there. You go, but but wait, I didn't know that the the good angels could, or the bad angels could be where God is. Satan was right there talking to God and Job. I can show you from the book of 2 Kings, you can put it up behind me. Manasseh was an evil king who did evil like Ahab, like this king did. And he used to, what? He used to worship the hosts of heaven, demonic, angelic forces. 
says it twice in that passage. He used to worship the hosts of heaven. For we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the hosts of heaven. So the bad angel stood up and said, I have no problem lying. I serve the father of lies. And God said, okay, go do it. He's granted, I've granted you permission because he opened the door. So he goes and I want to tell you how it ends. It's a worship team comes up. In his pride, he doesn't repent. He hears what the prophet, the real prophet of the Lord tells him. And you want to know what he does? He tries to outsmart God. How many times did I tell you that a proud man, a proud person, a proud woman doesn't know they're proud? And so this is what he does. He dresses up like a normal soldier. He doesn't dress in his kingly attire and he tells Jehoshaphat, I need you to command the army. You're going to dress up like the king. How many of you, if you were Jehoshaphat, would be like, uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. He dresses up like the king. They begin to chase him because they think he's the king. But God reveals that he's not the king. So they back off. And the Bible says at random, uh, an archer launches an arrow and just by chance, how many of you know it's not by chance? It hits the king of Israel and pierces between his armor and kills him. Can I tell you, we can do it the hard way or we can do it God's way. He said, just read my word. Listen to the voice of my spirit. You might be here today and you might be saying, Pastor, wow. I can't help but feel there's some open doors. There's some... So right here, before we go any further, I'm just going to ask you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you search my heart? Would you do a spiritual inventory right now of my life? Can we just go through my home, my, my, the heart of my life, my home? And, and let's just check every door. Let's just check every window. Let's just check. And, and can I have you be my alarm system? Where, where you, you set off alarms when I begin to leave something carelessly open. And you have permission to speak to me, oh God. Actually, you don't, I don't have to, I can't grant you anything like permission. You're going to speak and I want to hear your voice. How about that? God, today, I just, if it's pride, Lord, in the name of Jesus, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. I take it captive in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I cast it out of my life. I don't want to have pride. I humble myself right now before you, O God Almighty, that you might be justified when you speak in your word. Lord, if there's unforgiveness, if there's been sexual immorality, God, in the name of Jesus, we bind it. We cast it out of our lives and we consecrate. That means we dedicate ourselves back to you that you would rule and reign in this home. If I'm feeling frustration towards my brothers, towards my, my leader, towards my boss, towards other people, God, that's not the way you want me to live. You want me to live at peace with all men that I may shine your, oh, come on now. So right here, right now, Lord, just, we just want to set the house right. 
say, Pastor, are you going to lead me in a prayer? I just did. We just didn't have our eyes closed, but we've been praying. Lord, do these things. I love you, Foundation. Have a conversation with the Spirit.